Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Glad you're here. And uh, as you find your seats, you can turn to the book of Zephaniah. We've been in there for the last, well, last week and for the next several weeks as we finish up Zephaniah's in the Old Testament. It's one of the minor prophets. We call major prophets the ones that pretty much wrote long books, and the minor prophets are the ones that wrote smaller books. It's not that they're less significant, they just wrote less. And the title of our series has been On That Day. And um, it's the idea we talked about last week, but it's the idea that all of us look forward to a day of something, whether that be the day we graduate high school, the day we graduate college, the day we have a child, the day we meet our friends, the day we get a job, the day, whatever it is, fill in the blank, we look forward to, gradu- to uh, you know, vacation day, we look forward to spring break, we look, f- like all these times we're constantly looking forward to that day. Um, and what Zephaniah is reminding the people of God is that there's a day coming when God will come back to make all things right. He's going to come back, and on that day, God will make everything right. That day still hasn't happened yet. There have been many days since Zephaniah proclaimed that this day and the other prophets of the Old Testament proclaimed there would come a day when God would make things right. Since that time, humans, us, have been trying to find ways to make things right and failing miserably. Pretty much over and over again, we use the same patterns, the same ideas, the same solutions, and it doesn't work. And Zephaniah tells us, we'll see today, that that's actually purposeful, that God actually frustrates the plans of man so that they have to trust, uh, so he has to trust in the Lord. Uh, Just real quick, just a quick history lesson for you to remember is uh, where we're at in the story Number one, you got to remember that the Assyrians had conquered Israel in 722. This is about 136 years worth of history here. So think about your life. Think about your parents' life. Think about your grandparents' life. Think about your great-grandparents' life. And think about their parents' life. And you're almost at about 136 years. that's, That's how far back this is. And so if you think of yourself in the story in these times, in 722, Assyria conquers the northern kingdom. If you remember, Israel split. They were upset about Solomon, and they were upset about God, and so the kingdom split. The northern kingdom never had a righteous king. They never did anything like God asked. And so God sent a conqueror, Assyria, to conquer conquer them. And hopefully by doing that, he was trying to get the attention of all of his people. And he warned them it was coming. It wasn't just like he allowed this or did this. It was like he warned them. In 715, the southern kingdom, because they still hadn't repented, Hezekiah finally in 715 becomes king, and Hezekiah actually does repent and leads the nation in kind of a mini revival. After that happens, he's in power for 29 years. The end of his reign was a righteous time in the southern kingdom, but they were still under kind of the oppression of the Assyrian empire. You have Manasseh. Manasseh comes in, and he is actually the most wicked king ever. God said that, not me says, this is the most wicked king that has ever existed. And God says, because of Manasseh's wickedness and the people's unwillingness to stand up but actually participate in Manasseh's wickedness, all the judgments that are coming on Judah are going to come now. Done. I have to judge what Manasseh did. It has to be dealt with. Now, God says you can postpone that judgment. He tells Manasseh that. Manasseh says, I repent. And God postpones that day that was going to come for God to bring righteousness. Then Ammon comes to power. That's Manasseh's son. He reigns two years. 
he's killed because he's so wicked. God's like, yep, nope, done. Next comes Josiah. Josiah comes to the throne at age 8. He reigns 31 years. In 622, Josiah brings one of the greatest revivals, possibly the greatest revival of the entire Old Testament, of getting rid of all the idolatry, getting rid of all the gods, and the people truly worshiping and coming back to the God who reigns. After Josiah, this is when Zephaniah is doing his ministry. Zephaniah is actually doing his ministry during the reign of Josiah. Zephaniah is saying things at a time when Israel's doing really well. And he's saying things that don't sound really well. They sound very hard and like very judgmental. And so it's like, wait a minute, we're doing well. We've repented. Like we're, we've listened to Josiah for the most part. And Zephaniah's like, yeah, that won't last, number one. And number two, we still haven't dealt with Manasseh that God said he would deal with. And so then in 612, the Assyrians are defeated by the Babylonians because the Assyrians treated God's people so bad, he warned them. And we looked at that in our last series in Nahum, that God had warned the Assyrians, hey, treat my people well. I'm punishing them. I'm disciplining them right now, but please treat them well. And the Assyrians were like, no, we're going to slaughter them. God's like, okay, well, then I won't treat you well. So he raises up the Babylonians and the Medes. The Babylonians and the Medes kill off the Assyrians. They're defeated. Then Israel looks to find another partner. They run to Egypt. They were told to never go back to Egypt, but they did anyway, and they went to Necho of Egypt. It ends up that Josiah then makes war against Egypt, and they're in a war because of the mess, and then Josiah is killed. And then in 605, Babylon defeats Egypt, finds out that behind Nebuchadnezzar's back, Israel had been making treaties with Egypt, and Nebuchadnezzar comes in 586 and totally slaughters the city of Jerusalem, lays siege and slaughters people who hadn't surrendered before because the prophet Jeremiah told people, if you surrender to Babylon, you'll be safe, and we'll see that in just a minute. So this gives you a little bit of a history. This is 136 years. So think about our country, where we're at right now. The periods that we've been through, whether it's World War I, World War II, Vietnam, the most recent wars overseas in the Middle East, whatever it is, the times when we've had prosperity, the times when we haven't, I mean, 136 years, that puts us back in the 1800s. Like, God is a patient God, but He doesn't forget. And He has a plan that's going to happen. And he is so gracious to send us plenty of information so that we can look to him when he says, like we looked at last week, he said that we'll be swept away. There's coming a day when all things will be completely swept away. He says that in chapter, or in ver, chapter 1, verse 2. And in his graciousness, he tells us, that even though that's going to happen, and this is what we'll look at this week, he tells through Zephaniah, I'm still going to come back and gather you and seek you out and look for those that are seeking me. See, that's been the theme of Scripture throughout all of human history, is God is looking for those. He looks to and fro, and Romans says that no one seeks God. We all, like, go astray in our hearts. And God says he's looking for anyone that will just seek me instead of seek all the other things and add me to it. I'm just looking for people that will seek me. 
That even though they're sinful, even though they know the judgment of Manasseh is coming, even though they've seen all the wickedness, even though all this stuff is going on, in the midst of it, they will still say, I'm going to seek God. In the midst of all the pain, the suffering, the mess, in the midst of all the wealth and all the prosperity, I'm not going to forget God. I'm going to seek Him. And I'm going to gather with God's people. I'm going to gather with those who know God and want to seek God. And I'm going to seek with them. And I'm going to continue to move forward regardless of the circumstances. Because i got 136 years of history that's a mess. And it ha- it's the same. It's the same kind of mess we've been in. Nations rise up and get torn down. And this happens all the time. And so this week I want us to look at this idea of gathering and seeking. You know, what's amazing to me, I didn't say this last week, the name Zephaniah actually means Yahweh has hidden or hides or Yahweh has stored up. It's kind of this dual meaning in in Zephaniah's name, that that his name actually means that that Yahweh has stored up. Now, the question is, what has he stored up? Because the Bible says God stores up his wrath. He pours out his love. You see, God is storing up for that day. He has hidden his wrath from us for now, his full wrath. He's pulled back, but it's coming. And God doesn't want to hide from us his love and his compassion. He wants to pour that out on us. And Zephaniah's name actually even implies that that's why he's the prophet that God had chosen. If you remember who Zephaniah is, Zephaniah is most likely considered a minority in Israel. He's most likely a black man, a Cushite from Egypt, probably very dark-skinned compared to the rest of the Jewish people. He came from privilege. He was from the line of Hezekiah. So when he's prophesying to Josiah, he's actually prophesying against his own family. Some of you may be in that situation where you share the scriptures, you talk about God, you try to seek him, and there's a family pushing back against you. But Zephaniah tells the people to pursue him. I want to take a minute and I want to pray for us. And I want to pray what we're going to look at today and then dive in. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I thank you that there are lots of things that we try to trust in and that you are patient with us, but you keep tearing those things down so that we will see that there's nothing we can trust in other than you. Lord, I thank you for those gathered today, right, in this place, those that are gathered in churches that follow you and seek you around the world and online. Lord, I thank you that they're willing to at least gather because, Lord, that's the first step, as we'll see in a moment. And, Lord, I pray this morning you would help us to seek you and seek your heart and learn what that looks like according to your word. We pray in your name. Amen. So, Zephaniah 1.17, last week we went through verse 16, says this. He says, I will bring distress on mankind, and they will walk like the blind because they've sinned against the Lord. There's another verse in Zechariah 14.12, I didn't put it up here, but actually implies that they're going to be zombies. Some people call it the zombie verse in Zechariah 14.12. That men are going to walk around as dead men walking. Miserable. They're flesh eaten. Like, I don't know if that means we're really going to be zombies, but it's pretty 
good description, I think. And, and, and Zephaniah here says what God is going to do is he's going to bring distress on mankind and they're going to walk around blind because they've sinned against the Lord. In other words, they're going to have no direction. There's going to be no purpose, no meaningful direction for where they're headed. They're not headed for a destination like on that day, destination. They're just kind of getting through life, just trying to survive another day. If that doesn't sum up our culture to a T, I don't know what does. That it's just, I got to get through one more day. There's not really a purpose or a vision or a set idea that there's coming a day when we're going to be gathered and I need to seek the Lord in this day. And so the people are walking around blind. And the reason, God says, is not because I'm hiding. It's because they keep sinning. They, they won't do simple. They won't gather with my people and they won't do the simple things that I've given them to seek me, i.e., read your Bible. <laughs> like God said, I'm giving you this incredibly preserved document, the most amazing historical and historically preserved document ever in the history of the world. And we have multiple copies of it in multiple translations. And we're lucky to read one of them. And God's like, I just want you to seek me. Like you seek everything else. Like you seek YouTube and TikTok. I want you to seek me like you seek your favorite TV show you binge. How about you binge on me? Like I, I want you to seek me. And I've given you kind of simple ways to do it. I haven't made this complicated. The problem is those ways don't tend to be real exciting. They'll get our blood boiling, right? We want exciting and flashy and quick. And God's like, no, I, I, I want you to be like a family. And most of what families do are really boring. Most of you have been a part of a family. Unload the dishwasher. Load the dishwasher. Put your laundry away. Wash the laundry. Fold it and put it away again. Clean the toilets. Fix dinner. Fix breakfast. Fix lunch. Go to the grocery. Like this is what consumes our, go to bed. Get up. Like these are simple things that God actually in the Old Testament gave an entire plan of how to do that for his people so that they would do it in a way that they were reminded constantly to seek him. Their schedule, their food, everything was a reminder of this is the way I want you to do life so that you don't forget me because you're going to want to always forget me and just do life without me. And so God gave them all these reminders of what to do and not to do so that they would seek him. Then he goes on, he said, their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Now, this is a hard verse. We read this and think, oh my goodness, that's kind of really harsh. But it's not if you think about it, because the ministry of Jesus was the idea that he came and poured out his life and his flesh on the cross was treated like garbage, like dung. They, they were going to throw his body away until Joseph of Arimathea asked for his body to preserve it and put it in his borrowed tomb, which was prophesied in the Old Testament, by the way. Like Jesus was treated this way. So again, we have a God that says, I want to gather you. I want, to see, I want you to seek me and I'm seeking you out. But it's not yet. It's going to be on that day. And, and by the way, I'm going to come and I'm going to show you that here I am and you're still not going to want me. You're still going to reject me. You're still not going to want to seek me because I'm going to tell you the truth about the world. I'm going to tell you the truth about life. I'm going to tell you the truth about how things are going to go down. 
And you're going to say, no thanks, I like what the Romans have to offer. I like what the Pharisees have to offer. That's what I'm looking for. And Jesus says, look, I'm asking you, it's the greatest trade in the world is to gather yourself to God and to seek Him. In Zephaniah 1.18, He warns the people of God. He tells them, your silver and gold will not be able to rescue you. You can put Bitcoin on there too. But your silver, gold, and Bitcoin will not be able to rescue you. Right? On the day of the Lord's wrath. The whole earth will be consumed by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make it a complete, yes, a horrifying end of all the inhabitants of the earth. There's a day coming, again, I said this last week, science tells us there is a day coming for humanity where we won't be able to survive. Maybe multiple days. It's going to be asteroid. We're going to heat the earth up too much. The sun's going to burn out and fry us. Black hole's going to suck us in when the sun goes out. There's multiple ways that science has told us we're toast. Now, you've got to remember, they didn't have science in this day. So when Zephaniah is writing this, well, this may have been hard to believe. What do you mean this is all going to be gone? Like, really? Like, we get in our boat and we go over there and it's not gone there, but it's gone here. And, and God says, look, this is what's going to happen. It's just fact. Now, what do you do in the meantime? When you know, listen, Zephaniah says, distress is coming. A horrifying end is coming. He says the fire of God's jealousy is coming. His wrath is coming. So what do we do in the meantime? Do we just throw up our hands and be like, well, I'm going to try to enjoy things as much as I can before God just takes it all away from me. Do we just throw our hands up and be like, well, just try to be happy as much as I can. Or maybe we say, you know what, I'm just going to be miserable and set my depression. Not that we don't struggle with those things, but Zephaniah is saying, look, you can't get around this. There's no way to get around. You can postpone it. God throughout Scripture, somehow within His sovereignty, allows the postponing of His judgment. It happens all the time through Scripture. That His people repent, and his judgment is put aside for individuals, for families, for tribes, for nations, and even the world. Which shows again that God wants to pour out his love and his compassion and his mercy. But he's looking and saying, is there, is there anyone that will do the simple thing of just gathering together and seeking me? It's not that difficult. The question is, will we? You know, many in... Zephaniah's day were trusting in their silver and gold. They were trusting in their military power. They were trusting in all these things that Josiah had brought back to Israel. Zephaniah's like, you know, I love my relative. I love Josiah, but there's still a day coming. And you've had a reprieve for a few years while Josiah's reigned. It's been a good 20-year run with Josiah since he came to the throne and then he dies. Good 20 years, but it's not going to go well for a while. Now, what will our response be? Look at what Zephaniah says. Zephaniah, in the first chapter, lays out all the judgment. He lays on the day that's coming. He is clear on it. Not just the day of the end of time, which he talks about, but also the day of, like, temporary judgment when, again, Babylon is going to come and discipline and punish God's people. Look at what he says. Gather yourselves together Gather together, undesirable nation. Typically, when we 
see ourselves as undesirable, we don't gather together. We hide. It's the original sin of Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve realized that they were undesirable to God and undesirable because of their nakedness, what did they do? They hid. You see, the first thing you have to do is to realize that there is a God who desires to gather people. He desires to bring people together. He desires to give forgiveness. That's why Jesus came. It's why God through the whole Old Testament continued to say, I want to be gracious and compassionate. I want to be loving. I don't want to bring my judgment, but I'm going to bring it because that's who I am in my character. And so the first thing God, Zephaniah, tells the people of God after he pronounces judgment through the first chapter is he says, gather. Now, we're going to look at this again because in chapter 3, he says, gather, 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 like five times. And he specifically calls to that. I'm not going to do, go into that today. We're going to break that down. But he says, gather yourselves. Listen, this is the hardest thing we can get people to do in our culture today is just to show up. Just show up. Like gather together in the righteousness of God. I get that there are times you can't. You're sick. There's problems. I get that. But just showing up in people's lives and showing up to work is like the most powerful thing in our culture today. If you're someone that's on time and works hard and does your job, it's like, wow, you're weird. You're such a strange human. Like it... The idea of gathering together, we, we take it for granted. But yet God said it was the one thing. It was the first. Listen, he gives four commands. The fourth command after love the Lord your God, don't have idols, don't take his name in vain, is what? The Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? It's a day to rest with the body of Christ, to rest with God's people in the sovereignty of God, in his ability, is to seek God together. What did the priests do on the Sabbath? They were very busy on the Sabbath. <laughs> on the Sabbath, they were making offerings. It was a very busy day for the priests. Guess what? If you're a Christian, the New Testament says you've been invited to be a priest. You are a priesthood of believers. That when you accept Jesus Christ, he puts in you the Holy Spirit, which helps you to become a prophet, a priest, and a co-heir, a king with Jesus. So on the Sabbath, it's not our job to sit back and say, well, it's my rest day. I'm going to sit in my recliner, nobody bother me. Bring me a beer, I'm watching football. Who's God in that situation? Me. Whoever says that, I'm God, I got a rest. Versus saying, no, I'm a priest, and my responsibility as a priest is to invite the people to gather for worship. It's to invite the people to come together and gather. It's, it's to find out if people didn't gather, where are they? That's not my responsibility as a pastor. It's all of our responsibilities if we call ourselves believers in Jesus. If we believe that Jesus has gathered himself to the earth, that he's gathering his people for the day, and if we want to seek him. He says, first step, you've got to show up. You've you got to gather yourselves. It's why the important, it's why when COVID hit and so many churches shut down, it's why really quickly we're like, okay, we're going to gather online, but as quickly as possible, we want to get back in person. You think, well, but it was such a, it was a pandemic. Do you realize that like throughout all of history, God's people, like there were pandemics going on when God's people were gathering for the Sabbath every Saturday for like the whole Testament. It wasn't like God just stopped doing like sickness. 
Like, there were terrible things happening. If you read Leviticus, there's all kinds of instructions of how to inspect people for the gathering. Like, to make sure they don't have a skin disease that spreads, right? To make sure that there's not sin in their life. Like, there's all these things to inspect the people to make sure you don't spread it amongst everybody. So God, in his wisdom, was like, look, you have to gather, and it is dangerous to gather with people. It's dangerous. People are crazy. I read in a book this past week, I was reading on 10, it's a book called 10 10 Dead Guys You Should Know, okay, and it goes through like 10 guys through Christian history that you should know about. So I'm reading this book, and we're talking about Charles Spurgeon, who was the great English preacher, um, first, maybe one of the first mega churches in the Western Empire in terms of like Protestant, and Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher, he was radical in the fact that he did things that were about reaching the lost and, and gathering people. And he decided he wasn't going to meet in the church building because they couldn't get everybody in there and they couldn't have enough services. So he rented out the largest place he could rent in London to have people. And people vilified him because that's not a sanctuary. Charles Spurgeon said, well, the sanctuary is the human heart. And when God's people gathered, when two or more are gathered together, there's a sanctuary. So no, it's not about the building, it's about where people gather under the authority of God and under the authority of his church. So he had this big gathering and he was vilified in the papers of his day. He was vilified by the religious leaders of his day. And and then they had the largest crowd, over 10,000 people, this was a long time ago, that's a big crowd, showed up to hear Spurgeon preach and to hear the gospel. And you think, wow, God's awesome. And in the midst of that event, Satan sent someone in to yell fire. You have to remember, this was a day when they didn't have sprinkler systems. They didn't have emergency exits. So when fire was yelled, you had to get out fast. And that day, seven people were killed and trampled to death. And Spurgeon never got over it. He never got over it. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't stop gathering. He didn't stop calling people to Jesus. He didn't stop bringing people in and training up pastors and sending them out. It was tragic. In his whole life, he hated that that had happened, but he recognized that that was the enemy and that God's plan wasn't going to be thwarted to see God's people gathered together to worship him. And isn't it interesting that Zephaniah says, gather you undesirables. See, when we feel the most undesirable is when we don't want to gather. When I don't feel like I'm worthy to be at church because I stink, because I've sinned, because my life's a mess, because God isn't coming through for me, because things aren't working out like I thought they would, and the church isn't as perfect as I thought it would, and I'm tired of this church, so I'm going to go to the next one and the next one and the next one. You know, I'm, I'm tired of... Zephaniah looks at them and says, gather together, all you undesirables. (laughs) You've got nothing to offer God. Come on, let's get together. (laughs) Then why are we gathering if we have nothing to offer God? Because he's going to bring an offering through you. When you come and offer yourself, the Holy Spirit comes in and gives an offering, gives a handshake, a smile, an encouragement to someone else. 
helps you to feel encouraged and feel like there's still purpose. There's still lives being changed. This morning, as you guys were greeting, and as I greeted some of you, I, I just paused for a minute and looked out, and I just saw changed life after changed life. I saw person after person who has chosen to seek the Lord. And I know your stories. I know the sicknesses. I know the thorns, literally thorns in your flesh (laughs) and in your feet. I know the broken relationships. I know the financial hardship. And I just, it just gave me such joy to see and say, wow, there are people still seeking God, thank you. Thank you. Don't underestimate that. Zephaniah didn't. The next thing he says is, before the decree takes effect and the day passes like chaff, before the burning of the Lord's anger overtakes you, he says, look, be sure you gather because there's going to come a day when you can't gather anymore. Take every advantage of gathering together you can because there's going to come a day when you can't. You know, I heard a guy speaking on a podcast this week. And he said to another guy, they were secular, this is a secular podcast, and he said to the other guy, he said, you know, the other day I was doing some math, and he was probably in his 40s, probably about my age. The other guy was younger, probably in his 30s. And he said, you know, I did some math the other day. And he said, how often do you see your parents? He said this to the 30-some-year-old guy. And he said, oh, we see them maybe once or twice a year. He said, okay. He goes, I'm in my 40s. He said, my, my guess is if I see my parents once or twice a year, from now until the end of their life, because his parents were in their, almost their 70s. He looked and he said, if I see them once a year for the next however long, he's like, I may only have 10 more times to see my parents to 15 more times in my lifetime. And you could see the guy on the other side, it was just like silence in the podcast for a moment. Like we are so busy getting stuff done, seeking things, going everywhere. We're so busy trying to keep the day of the Lord, trying to keep the judgment away, trying to keep the creditors away. We're so busy, ah, that we don't just spend time together. We don't prioritize relationship. We don't gather. And there's coming a day when you won't be able to gather with people anymore, either because you're dead or Christ comes back. It's done, except for those that know him, and then we're all going to be gathered together, which is the hope of the world. And Zephaniah looks and he says, man, before it takes effect, either the decree on your life to call you into eternity or the decree in general, gather. Don't take for granted The opportunity in life you have to just be in someone else's life. It's easy to be selfish. It's easy just to sit back. It's easy not to serve. It's easy. I get all that. Sometimes you need to take a break. I get it. And just spend time with the Lord alone. Zephaniah says this, and then this is what he says in verse 3. Gather together. Remember that there's a day coming that should motivate your gathering. And then he says, when you gather together, seek the Lord. I think the majority of people that gather together, unfortunately, in our world today, the Western world for church, they don't gather together to seek the Lord. They gather together because maybe one person in their household is seeking the Lord. 
So we have to go with them because mom wants to go to church or dad wants to go to church. So we'll seek the relationship with dad or mom, but when I go there, it's just like, whatever. A lot of people go to church because they're seeking a, an experience. They, they want to go to church and get the, the thrills and the frills and the feeling. Feelings aren't wrong. But you'll hear people say, I'm, I'm looking at it for a church that'll have this or have that or whatever else. It's like, why aren't you looking for a church that will just call you to seek God? That, that, that even if they don't have anything, they're still going to be the call to seek the Lord. Like, seek Him. Next, it says... If you want to see if you're seeking the Lord, he says, all you humble of the earth. He says, there's no way to seek the Lord unless you humble yourself. You know how we humble ourselves? It's the four T's. Time, talent, treasure, and testimonies. You want to see where your humility is? What does your time look like? What does your treasure look like? What does your stories that you tell look like? What is your talent that you use to serve others? Like, what does that look like in your life? Because that will expose why you're doing what you're doing. Are you doing it so you can, are you get what you want? Or are you doing it because you genuinely want to humble yourself so that you can seek the Lord and serve others? And then he says, if you really want to see if you're humble, do you carry out his commands? Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Like, duh. <laughs> like, this is relationships 101. Hey, pick up your socks. No, that's not very loving. Actually, I'm being very loving and telling you, no, I won't pick up my socks. No, it doesn't sound loving. It sounds kind of rude. Is there a reason why you don't want to pick up your socks? No, I just think it's loving to tell you no. I'm not picking up my socks. Like, we will be that hard-hearted sometimes instead of just saying, okay, God's given me the time. He's given me breath. He's given me life. He's given me a relationship with you. You asked me to do something. I love you. I'll pick up my socks. It's not rocket science. And yet we fight it so hard inside. And so it's like, follow up, fill out what he commands. And then he says, look at this, seek righteousness. Notice he says, you better seek the Lord. You better humble yourself before you seek righteousness. Because if you seek to be right without seeking the Lord and without being humble before him, you're going to be a self-righteous, pharisaical jerk. Don't seek what's right until you've checked your heart before God and said, God, I want to do what's right. I'll do what's right. And you may have to do it by faith. Your heart may not be in it. You may be like, God, by faith, I'm going to do what's right. Because you say to seek you, you say to obey. I'm trying to be humble. This is hard, but I'm, I'm going to humble myself by obeying you. I mean, that's what a command is. It's the humility to say, I don't have to have my way. I'll do your way. That's why God says, if you love me, you'll obey me. He says, what is the greatest command? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like, these aren't rocket science things for us to figure out. Then he goes on and he says this, perhaps. Oh, he says, seek humility. Then he repeats himself. Seek humility. Oh, by the way, if you're seeking righteousness, I need to repeat myself, you may not be seeking humility while you're trying to be right. So I'm going to remind you to seek humility while you're trying to be right. Because <laughs> typically we don't do that well. We want to be right so that we can be king, we can be judge, we can tell you what to do, we can be in power, not so we can serve you. 
That, that's my tendency. That's yours. And, and Zephaniah knows that. And he's telling the people, look, as you gather together, as you seek the Lord, keep this in mind. And then he says, perhaps you'll be concealed on the day of the Lord's anger. What does Zephaniah's name mean? God hides or conceals. Like maybe, just maybe, God will spare you the wrath that is going to come. He goes on to tell in chapter 3 that he absolutely will spare us, which we'll look at in the next few weeks. Here, he gives them kind of a taste. Perhaps he might spare you? So that you ask the question to yourself, like, well, uh, I mean, I, I hope he does. And then in chapter 3, he's like, okay, good. Let me tell you why you can be confident that he's going to spare you. Because it's not about you. It's not what you did. This past week, a couple of weekends ago, we went to a wedding. It was my ne uh, nephew's wedding. No, different wedding. It was a couple that I did premarital counseling for. We've been to a few weddings this summer. It was a couple we did... Uh, I did premarital counseling for her, and we went to their wedding, and it was interesting because Susan struck up a conversation. Susan didn't know anybody at the wedding. I only knew the couple. I knew no one else, right? And so we're sitting at this table, and we're talking to people, and I knew one guy kind of because I had texted him back and forth and had one conversation with him, so kind of knew him. But we're sitting at this table with this family, and it's interesting because they're talking about their relationship with the Lord because he was the one that was doing the wedding. He was their uncle. He is kind of like the pillar, spiritual pillar of the family. The rest of the family is kind of a mess, but he's the spiritual pillar of the family that's like sharing Jesus with all of them, living a responsible life, you know, just loves everybody, is so giving. Like everyone is coming to our table. I got to meet everybody at the wedding because everybody came to our table to talk to Jim. Everyone. Uncle Jim! And he giving him hugs. And it was like, it was obvious this man had given his life to serve his family and his wife. And, and in the name of Jesus. Like he was constantly talking about Jesus. Like, well, his sister's sitting at the table with another friend, and she started to share her testimony of like, well, what about you? Do you, you know, you in church? She's like, oh, actually, yeah, I've, I've recently come back to faith, and I've recently started gathering and going to church again. She goes, I was one of those people that thought you could always just know Jesus and you didn't have to go to church. And she said, one day, God sent me someone in my workplace. It was a Chinese woman from mainland China that had come to work. And we were talking one day about faith, and she was talking about her faith. She was sharing about how she was a Christian. And I was like, oh, well, I'm a Christian too. She's like, really? Yes. And she said, well, where do you go to church? And she said, well, I, I don't go to church. And the Chinese woman literally like looked at her and was like, what? She's like, yeah, like you don't have to be a Christian and go to church. And the Chinese woman, without missing a breath, looked at her and she said, I go to church every week, and when I'm in China, I go to church, and I have to hide and go secretly, and if we're caught, we could be murdered, I could lose my job, and my entire family taken from me, and you think you can know Jesus and be separated from the church? She said that next Sunday, she went to church, and she hasn't stopped going since. God had to send a mainland Chinese woman to a Christian in America to convince them that it was good to gather and seek the Lord together. Praise God that he's doing it. Praise God he has enough mercy on us, undesirables, to send people from other countries to tell us to worship the God you say you do. Praise God. But man, that should be us having that conversation at work. 
That should be us looking at that coworker and saying, you can't be a Christian and not be a part of the body. It's a severed hand bleeding out on the sidewalk. Anybody sees that, they're like, somebody's missing something important. They would look at the hand and be like, you're going to die. You need help. Let's go find your body. They wouldn't be like, oh, that's so nice. Hi, hand. Have a good day and walk on. But that's what we do with people who say, well, you can be a Christian. You don't have to go to church. Well, technically you can because you're not saved by going to church. So technically, yes, Jesus says grace saves us. We don't earn salvation. We don't keep our salvation. We repent and seek God. But you better check your heart, Zephaniah says, to wonder, am I going to really be concealed in the day of judgment? Because I'm doing nothing to conceal my life now before a world that wants everything. I'm just involved in it. In Deuteronomy, God told his people this. This is Deuteronomy. God is giving his people the law. This is his chosen people that he's called out. They are now in the promised land. He's del- Well, not quite in the promised land. He's taking them to the promised land. He's giving them the laws and rules. Laying the foundation, here's what he says. When you have children and grandchildren, I have both now, thank you. I qualify. Okay. And you have been, I saw her yesterday, my grandchild, just for like 15 minutes. And she was asleep, and I was so sad when we showed up because I was just dropping stuff off for Micaiah. And she's asleep, and I'm like, I want to like stomp on the floor. You know what I mean? Because she's asleep on the floor, like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, and wake her up, but I didn't. And then she woke up anyway. Like, God was so gracious to wake her up while we were being quiet. And I got to see her, and she smiled. And so I, I say she knows me, but I don't know. Okay, so it says, and you've been in the land a long time underline that. When you've been a Christian a long time, when you've been in the church a long time, see, time has a way of deadening us. That you just think tomorrow's coming because there were a lot of tomorrows yesterday. Tomorrow's going to come because there were a lot of yesterday. Time also has a way of getting to the end where you're like, there aren't many tomorrows left. There's a lot of yesterdays behind me, but I don't have nearly the yesterdays as I have eternity. And then he says, and if you act corruptly, Make an idol in the form of anything and do what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, provoking him to anger. In other words, God isn't angry automatically. You provoke him all the time. You keep poking at him, right? Like my daughter's been watching some kids, right? She's a nanny. And it's amazing to watch these two poke at each other all the time. They were over at the house. And literally, they were talking about, Malia was telling me about them pestering one another. And as soon as she heard them talking about pestering one another, they started poking each other right at the table, like, (laughs) <laughs> like, like it was funny. And we're like, stop, don't do that. We provoke all the time. He goes on, he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that you will quickly perish from the land you're about to cross the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but you will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be reduced to a few survivors among the nations where your Lord will drive you. By the way, that's where Israel was until the 19, what was it, 1940s, when they finally were given back a land. But there's still a lot of Jews scattered all over the world. God's people are still scattered because when he gave them the land, they treated it like garbage. They're still treating his land like garbage, so they're still scattered. God is faithful to his commitments and his covenants. He goes on and he says, I love this. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see. Remember he talked about, Zephaniah said they're walking around blind. You're going to worship all these gods that are blind. And he says they can't hear, they can't eat, or they can't smell. 
But from there you will search for the Lord your God. His hope is that by pulling you away from the gathering, you'll long for it. Just like that Chinese woman longed for the gathering. It's a symbol of where your heart is. Do you long for the people of God and the word of God and the things of God? And he says, you will start searching. That longing will come. And he says, you will find him when you seek him with all your heart and your soul. God is not hiding from you. He wants to be found. And then he says, when you are in distress, that's what Zephaniah just said, a distress is coming. Zephaniah is saying, I'm telling you about what's happening that God told you would happen back in Deuteronomy. Now it's it's happening and going to happen. God always does what he says he's going to do. And then he says, look at this, I love this. And all these things have happened to you. You will return to the Lord your God in later days and obey him. It's not too late for you. It's later days for you. Are you going to return to him and obey him? Like he says, in later days you will turn and obey. He's talking about his people. And then he says, he will not leave you, destroy you, or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them by oath because the Lord your God is a compassionate God. And you say, well, then why can he do all these things? Why is Zephaniah going to do all these things if he's so compassionate? Why doesn't he just let it go? Why doesn't he just say, no big deal? Because that's not just. That doesn't have compassion on the one wronged. He can't have compassion on you at the expense of the compassion of someone else. That's not compassion. That's favoritism. God doesn't do that. That's why Jesus came to die on the cross. He gave his life to make the playing field equal. We are all sinners before God. We are desperate for a Savior. We need a Messiah. We need someone that's going to, we need a compassionate God to come and save us because we can't save ourselves. And Jesus said, I'm here. And we all said, yeah, you die on the cross while we go gather for Passover, even though you're the Passover lamb. They literally rejected the Passover lamb so they could go gather for Passover. And we're the, I can be the same way, so can you. And he looks and he says he's not going to forget the covenant he made. Listen, if you have placed your faith in Jesus and you are struggling, you're, you're doubting, all of those things, my goodness, how more clear can God be? I am compassionate and I am just and there is no other being in the world, no other God like me. Zephaniah goes on and after he prophesies this, he reminds them of all this and maybe God will spare you. And in the midst of saying maybe God will take you away, he reminds all the nations that judgment is coming for because they refuse to gather for worship the way God calls them to gather. All these nations he lists are nations that have their own gods, their own way to worship, and they're always trying to corrupt God's people, not surrender to the God of Yahweh. Look at what he says. For Gaza will be abandoned, and Ashkelon will become a ruin. Ashdod will be driven out at noon, and Ekron will be uprooted. Woe, inhabitants of the seacoast, nations of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you, Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you there until there's no one left. The seacoast will become pasture lands with calves for shepherds and folds for sheep. The coastland will belong to the remnant of the house of Judah. They will find pasture there. God says, I'm going to take everything away from the wicked and give it to those who I have made righteous and made a covenant with. 
They will lie down in the evening among the houses of Ashkelon, for the Lord their God will return to them and restore their fortunes. He says, I'm going to return to you. Then he goes on and he says, I have heard the taunting of Moab and the insults of the Ammonites who have taunted my people and threatened their territory. Welcome to our nation today. If you're a Christian and you stand for the things of God and the commands of God and you gather for the things of God and you push back against the gatherings that are the false gatherings of God, you're going to be taunted and you're going to be made fun of. He goes on, he says, Therefore, as I live, as I live, this is the Lord's declaration of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Moab will be like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, two places that were completely annihilated. A place overgrown with weeds, a salt pit, and a perpetual wasteland. The remnant of my people will plunder them. The remainder of my nation will dispose them. This is what they get for their pride. Remember, Zephaniah said, be humble, be humble. He says, when you start moving towards pride, and then he says, because they've taunted and acted arrogantly against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be terrifying to them when he starves all of the gods of the earth. See, that's what God does. He starves all the gods, the idols that we put. He makes it so we can't worship our stomachs anymore. We can't worship our wealth anymore because we don't have it. Then all the distant coastlands of the nations will bow and worship to him, each in his own place. You Cushites will also be slain by my sword. Who's Zephaniah? He's a what? A Cushite. He is willing to call out his own people. He doesn't stand pridefully and say, my people better than your people. He says, nope, we're all in trouble before God. And you Cushites are in just as big a trouble as anybody else is. And then he says, he will also stretch out his hands against the north and destroy Assyria. That hadn't happened yet fully when Zephaniah is preaching, and then it happened. He will make Nineveh a desolate ruin, dry as the desert. That happened after Zephaniah had prophesied. Herds will lie down in the middle of it. Every kind of wild animal, both the desert owl and the screech owl, will roost in the capitals of its pillar. Their calls will sound from the window, but devastation will be on the threshold, for he will expose the cedar work. This is the self-assured city that lives in security and that thinks to herself, I exist, there is no one else. It's interesting, I watched Vladimir Putin declare this on the United States this week in a video. And it was a little difficult for me to argue with him. I'm not saying Vladimir Putin's a good guy. I mean, he, he's going to use whatever he can find of truth to twist it to his own advantage. But this is the truth. When we become so self-assured And when our leaders become so self-assured and so self-secure and they think we exist, there is no one else, and all of you will obey us, we are in trouble, Zephaniah says. What a desolation those nations and those, those people will become. A place for wild animals to lie down. Everyone who passes by her jeers and shakes his fist. Woe to the city that is rebellious and defiled. The oppressive city. She is not obeyed. She's not accepted discipline. She's not trusted in Yahweh. She's not drawn near to her God. I pray that we won't be a desolate city. I pray that we won't be so self-assured. I pray that this wouldn't characterize us, our church, Bloomington, 
But if we're honest, there's a lot of this that's true. Second Chronicles 16.7 says this, On the day that David decreed for the first time that thanks be given to the Lord by Aspa and his relatives, Give thanks to Yahweh, call on his name, proclaim his deeds among the people, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell about his wonderful works, honor his holy name. We just sang all of that. Let the hearts of those who seek Yahweh rejoice. Let the hearts of those who seek Yahweh rejoice, even if it's not working out well. Because we know the end of the story. Search for the Lord and for his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonderful works he's done, his wonders and the judgments he's pronounced. You offspring of Israel, his servants, or his servant, Jacob descendants, his chosen ones. David writes in Psalm 69, 29, but as for me, poor and in pain. Some of you are poor and in pain. Let your salvation protect me. God, I will praise God's name with song and exalt him with thanksgiving that will please Yahweh more than ox, more than a bull with horns and hooves. The humble will see it and rejoice. You who seek God, take heart for the Lord listens to the needy and does not despise his own who are prisoners. Like This is God's word to us to say to gather and seek. Jeremiah says, for this is what the Lord says, when 70 years of Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and I will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, this the Lord's declaration, plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a hope and a future. You will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. He may not restore your fortunes on this side of eternity, but someday he will restore everything you've invested in for eternity. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for the idolaters seek all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Notice Jesus doesn't say when they'll be provided. We like to make demands on God. We like to say, well, God, I'm seeking you, so you need to give me all this stuff. We trust him for his provision. And then he goes on and he says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Trouble enough of its own to do what? Seek the Lord. <laughs> Each day has enough trouble distracting me from seeking the Lord. Lastly, Jesus says this, as Jesus was at the end of his life and he was going to ascend to heaven to wait for the day when he comes back, that day, when he's going to come again, he gave his disciples marching orders. He said, this is what I'm telling you before I go to my father and ascend to him. It said, then Jesus came near to him. The resurrected Jesus came near to them. He came near. He sought them out. He came to them and said, would you seek me? Will you come to me? And they did. They came. He came. They met together. They gathered together. And this is what he said to those that were gathered. Not just the 12, probably more than that. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Do you believe that God has all authority or do you believe that Trump has all the authority? 
or the Biden has all the authority, or the Supreme Court has all the authority, or the Putin has the authority, or the guy with the nukes has the authority. Like, no, God has the authority. He's the one that tells us how to gather and how to seek, and, and where we should gather and how we seek. So Jesus says, go, therefore. Go gathered. Go gathering people and make disciples of the nations. That's disciplined people, which Zephaniah just read. Disciplined people will seek the Lord. They'll discipline. That's what we do. And he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You want to know why you got to be baptized? Because you get dirty. When you go out into the world, you get dirty. It's why God has to constantly cleanse you. You are justified and you are righteous before God because of what Jesus did for you. But you know what happens? You get dirty. So you have to keep coming back to God. You got to keep coming back to his people so you can get some cleansing. Because you get dirty in the world. We know that. I mean, if you have children, especially teenagers or junior high kids, junior high boys, if you have junior high boys, trying to convince them that they're dirty is really difficult. Like, you stink. I love you. Like, take a shower. Like, pick up the car. Like, you wore that yesterday. Yeah, it's my favorite shirt. It smells like death. Please don't wear it. Right? Like, no, you need to be cleansed, and it's my job as a father to teach you to cleanse yourself as you go out into the world. Like, I send you back out to school, cleansed. Right? Like, that's what God is saying here. And then he says, look, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Family, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. That's exactly what Zephaniah said. He said that to... to, to to obey the commands. And then he says, look at this. Don't skip this. And remember, because we're going to forget. And Zephaniah is reminding them because they're going to forget, I am with you always. Always. To the end of the age. I may have left and gone to heaven, but I can see. I'm not blind. I know your suffering. I know your pain. I know where you're at. Just keep doing what I've asked you to do. Gather together. Seek me in humility. Lay down your pride. Like, this isn't rocket science to seek the Lord. It's not. I've said that six times this morning. It's just not. And we make it so hard. Is, the, is it hard in the world? Yeah, you get really dirty. You get beat up. And you need to come back and get your wounds healed. And you need to be cleaned up. That's the gathering of the saints. You know, I tell college students all the time, whether they're coming to IU, coming to our church, or going outside of our church, I tell them all the time, you know, when you go to college, you're only going to have about 26 to 28 Sundays that you're going to be able to attend the church in the town where you go to college, most likely. Because of breaks, because going home over the summer, whatever else. Now, you could might have more if you stay in town and find a job in town and all that kind of stuff. But the average freshman especially, or college, maybe 26 to 28 Sundays, that's it. That's all you're going to have in a year to gather together with God's people. Prioritize it. Like prioritize the gathering with God's people and not just who you want to gather with, but like who is God calling you to give your life to, to gather with. And you think, well, yeah, I gather, but I don't really do anything. Let me see. You've been bought, if you know Jesus Christ, if you've surrendered your life, you've been bought with a price. He's given you his Holy Spirit. And so when you show up, it's actually you bringing the Holy Spirit in you to the audience. And you want to say you got nothing to offer? You've got the Holy Spirit in you. You don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do. 
today. You don't know what he's going to do the next time you gather. You have no idea what's going to happen in your heart or what you can say or speak into or encourage someone else. You have no idea. So can I encourage you like Zephaniah? There is a day coming. (laughs) I don't know when it's going to come. We're in a mess. I don't know how long our nation has left, but can I tell you this? Gather. Seek him in humility and trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that Zephaniah lays this out for us so clearly. Thank you that he calls us to seek you. I thank you that he's honest, that he tells the nations, he tells people, he tells us that God, you will be just, but he also tells us that you are gracious and compassionate. And that your desire is not to hide out, but your desire is to store up treasures in heaven, to hide those in heaven so that moth and rust can't touch. And so Lord, I pray this morning for those that are listening in, if they have never truly come to you and gathered at the foot of your cross to ask you to come into their lives, to seek you and say, I'm done pursuing pride. I'm done pursuing false humility. I'm going to pursue you. I pray today will be the day. They just surrender and be like, I'm done. I, I give up and I surrender. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, I pray that we would be reminded that you keep offering the same thing through your prophets through the apostles, through the New Testament, when you came from heaven to earth, you keep offering us love and grace and compassion because there's a judgment coming. And through you, Jesus, you actually pay the price for that judgment. And that should give us incredible hope. Lord, thank you for the faithful in this room. Thank you for how they have sought you. Thankful for how they've gathered together with your people and continue to seek you out. I pray you would do it more. And Lord, I pray that we would go and invite people to gather with us and that we would lead people and help them seek you through us because that's the plan you gave us. There's not a plan B. That's the plan. You told us go, that's the plan. And so Lord, help us to do that in a way that honors you, that's obedient to you, that loves our neighbor and loves you, that tells people the truth about your justice and the truth about your love and your grace. Lord, thank you for your word that is a light to us, that we don't have to be blind, we can see, and we can have hope when everybody else is in panic mode, and that we can live a surrendered, honoring, simple life, and it can have an incredible impact for eternity. We thank you in your name.